Hello, and welcome to the Stories Behind the Stories podcast by The Roundup CT, your weekly insight into Connecticut's biggest news. I am your host, Riley McGinnis, and this week, members of The Roundup CT spoke to sports journalists in Connecticut and nationwide about women's roles in sports journalism and the struggles they faced. Even though journalism has made great strides, Women's Media Central reports that the number of female assistant sports editors at 100 U.S. and Canadian newspapers and websites fall by roughly half between 2012 and 2014, from 17.2% to 9.8%. The Roundup CT junior member Connor Donahue spoke with Molly Karam, a UConn alum, about her experience as the host of ESPN's show First Take. Connor, what did she have to say about her experience as a woman in sports journalism? Yeah, you know, working for what was once a predominantly male company like ESPN, she really nothing but good things to say about the company and the trend that women are going. And like, at first said you only see women on the sidelines, and now they're anchoring shows, they're calling games, they're in executive roles. So she really only had good things to say about ESPN and the trend that women in journalism is going. Let's take a listen. All right, so we're here with Molly Karam of ESPN. First off, happy belated birthday. So, do you want to start off by just kind of talking about your time in school? You know, we went to UConn and then went to Quinnipiac after. Sure, yeah. Went to UConn undergrad. I had a tremendous experience. I was a communications major, minored in business, um, and I was also heavily involved with UCTV when I was a student there as well. And I did a ton of, like, great internships. Uh, One was with... CBS Radio, uh, I interned at Hot 93.7, and then I was also a production intern for Conan O'Brien at the time he was working at 30 Rock in New York City, and those were all facilitated through UConn, so I was able to kind of get that hands-on experience outside of the books as well, and then I went to Quinnipiac specifically for broadcast journalism, wanted a little more experience in front of the camera, and that was tremendous. I think just in, in getting a lot of like practical experience, so kind of that one-man band type thing where we'd be shooting our own package, uh, writing it, editing it, and like really honing in the skills and all the aspects of the industry. And then, yeah, through that, it helped, it helped lead to my first job at ESPN. Do you think those internships, they, so you're saying they kind of translated into you breaking into the field, but why did you want to go into journalism in the first place? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I feel like in life, there's just certain things we're passionate about and we're, we're called to. And I just knew at a young age, I would say around like sixth or seventh grade, that this is what I wanted to do. And, you know, I loved it. And I followed certain people like the Robin Roberts, the Diane Sawyer, and I'd rip out articles. And I just knew that was that was my goal. So I followed their careers closely. And I was a huge sports fan. And that's kind of what my family did on the weekends, like that's how we hung out. We were season ticket holders to men's and women's basketball at UConn, diehard Giants fans, Yankees fans, and all the Boston fans at UConn are probably rolling their eyes. But, uh, and so it was just like kind of it came naturally. And then through different internships, I'd also interned at ESPN. I made some connections there, and I happened to grow up two exits away uh, from from ESPN headquarters in Bristol, so it kind of all fell into place, um, and I started it with digital media, and at the time, that's like when that was first starting out, people were really watching 
where I was able to begin at a national network rather than going to a, a smaller market. I started digital space. That part, I mean, I hustled, don't get me wrong. Trust me, I hustled. But um, at the same time, it all kind of worked out, you know, worked out naturally. I want to kind of switch gears and talk about more women in journalism. So was there like a moment for you when you walked into a newsroom and maybe saw like a disparity between male and female journalists and you were like, all right, something might be wrong here? Um, no, I can't speak to, a, to like a particular instance where I had that. I mean, it was definitely predominantly male and, you know, female, you're, you're the minority. And that's changed over the course of like the last decade I've been in the industry. There's more and more women and more women in a variety of roles and high profile positions. So that's a positive trajectory. Um, as far as like a stand up moment where I felt something was wrong. No, I think just outside of, you know, highlighting that females were the minority. So I guess that kind of, you know, that stood out to me. And then I think, uh, you know, going into meetings, you know, being the only female, that kind of thing, you definitely, you know, you notice that or you appreciate if there's another female in the room with you. But you said that things are trending in the right direction? Yeah, I feel like they certainly are. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I only used to see women on the sidelines. And now I see women calling games, doing play-by-play. Women are anchoring tons of shows. I mean, I would say there's just as many women anchoring shows now as men, maybe if not more. Um, You know, every role at the executive level, there's female. So, yes, I I would definitely say that's that's tracking in the right direction, just in terms of the diversity of roles that females are not filling. Now we're not just like strictly on the sidelines. Women are doing everything. I had the privilege of speaking with Karen Krauss from the New York Times. Krauss detailed her struggles in her early days as a sports journalist in Savannah, Georgia, and the strides that have been made since then. Krauss also discussed the struggles of being a journalist. With the hectic schedules to spending holidays covering sporting events, Krauss claims that the lifestyle may play a part in why women and others choose not to become sports journalists. So at the Savannah News Press, mm-hmm. I'm saying that right, um, what was it like to be the first woman in the sports department? So when I took the job at the Savannah News Press, I had gone, lived my life in California, which is a pretty progressive live and let live uh, state. My first uh, job had been in LA. And so I took the Savannah job not knowing a soul in Georgia and thinking, well, it's a coastal city so how different could it be I had no idea and ignorance was actually bliss because if I had really known how tough it was going to be and how different it was I might have talked myself out of taking the job so when I arrived there in 1980 Six. I was the first female they had ever had in the sports department, and honestly, I think they—I might be the last. I'm not <laughs> sure they have had one since. I hope that's not because I traumatized everybody. <laughs> 
during my year there, but who knows. So here was the difficulty. I was going to a very old South city where they just could not put me in one of their boxes. I was a young woman in her early 20s, not married, doing a non-traditional job. They just couldn't figure me out. I made mm. them very uncomfortable. I remember going out and to my first high school football practice and the coach said, well, the quarterback, he's the person who lines up behind center. Like very condescending, mm -hmm. thinking that this little lady couldn't know anything about sports. But what I found was once I showed them that I did know a thing or two about their manly man sports, mm -hmm. that they were quite lovely. So it was a huge learning experience for me to see that not every place was going to be as warm and inviting as the environments I had grown up in. And I wouldn't trade the experience for anything, but I did feel a little isolated. Again, I knew nobody in the city. Um, people weren't overly friendly at first because they didn't know quite what to make of me. Um, and so it was very tough. And again, I was not an outgoing person where I could make friends easily. So I can't say that I made one lasting friend during my year there, but I learned a lot that was mm -hmm. valuable, including that I'm tougher than I maybe gave myself credit for. And that's why I say that while you know, I'm glad I didn't know the challenges that w were facing me when I took that job because I might have talked myself out of it. And I'm glad that I endured that and mm -hmm. had that experience because it toughened me up. It made me realize unequivocally that not everybody was going to be rooting for me to succeed, mm -hmm. that there were people who, unbeknownst to me before, were going to be rooting for me to fail for no reason other than I was a woman. Yep. But I remember I was such a conversation piece that the local TV station actually did a story on me. Oh. And one of the basketball coaches was quoted as saying, oh, I just love her, and my wife does too, <laughs> as if that was really important to add that piece mm -hmm. of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely, like, in the South, like, even just between here and Connecticut, like, it seems so different like I know no one who went to UNC for journalism like who's a woman and does sports like it, it's still not as prevalent here either, I feel but. like we've regressed when I got out of school when I first started going to maybe my uh, third newspaper job which allowed me to go to bigger events because I wasn't just covering high schools um, I found that there were a lot more women in the press boxes then than there appear to be now. I go to some events and I'm almost the only woman in the press room or press box and it's stunning to me when you've had a couple generations of women who have participated in sports through college, through Title IX, so you'd think there would be more of an interest in making 
that uh, career for many of those young women, and there actually are fewer of us. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's big change? Well, I think um, the money aspect, a lot of times one of the first questions I'm asked is how much money do you make? And I always tell people, if that's your first question, you probably shouldn't be a print journalist mm-hmm. because it, that means that's super important to you. And as long as I have a roof over my head, I'm able to feed myself, clothe myself, um, and pay my bills, I don't need much more than that. And it's just not a lucrative profession. The hours are very difficult if you want to have a life-work balance. Um, It was only recently that I've started to have some weekends off so imagine from the age of 21 to 50, I worked almost every holiday, almost every weekend, every mm-hmm. Friday night. It just takes you out of a, the rhythm of normal life. Yeah. So I think that's um, dissuades some people. And I just think if there are people who love sports and journalism, they go for the TV side of it. That seems mm-hmm. more glamorous. That's where the bigger paychecks are. So maybe that's it. But even, you know, it's just really disheartening because I feel as if I've never worked a day in my life because I've Mm -hmm. so enjoyed, for the most part, there are very few days where what I do feels like work. And I would love for other people to have that experience. I know from talking to friends in other professions that not everybody has this feeling about Mm -hmm. their work. Do you think it's harder and more hectic in sports journalism as opposed to like news journalism? Yes, because think about it. When you have Thanksgiving dinner, what do you do afterwards? You watch sporting Mm -hmm. events. Who's covering those sporting events? Us. Um, Christmas, what do you do? You watch NBA games. There's Mm -hmm. five NBA games on. Someone has to be covering those. When I worked in L.A., there was a stretch where every Christmas I covered the Lakers because they were always playing on Christmas Day. So I think that's difficult. And again, when do sporting events happen? Late at night. Mm -hmm. So it's unavoidable. And so I think just the lifestyle frightens a lot of women away who want to be able to um, have families, start families, and it's, it's a difficult juggling act. I don't have children. Some of my best female friends in the business do have children, and I've seen the juggling act. It's really difficult mm-hmm. because of these crazy hours. And also, we, we used to say we keep doctors' hours, but not with doctors' pay. You can be summoned, <laughs> paged, if you will, by your editor at any moment with breaking news. So it's just very difficult to plan one day ahead, much less plan a month or a lifetime ahead when you do this job. It's what attracts many people to the profession. They like that no two days are ever the same and that there is an unpredictability factor. But if you want to start and have a family, that's very difficult Mm -hmm. to work around. Mm -hmm. What else do you think specifically besides the like work hours and everything like frightens women away i think there's a sense that 
sports is the last bastion of maleness that that sport the sports section is the treehouse and unless you have the password you can't be let in I've talked to so many readers who pay me what I consider the highest compliment they say you know I don't really like sports but I read your stories because I understand them because they're about people and I think that people who write about sports in their enthusiasm for the sport become so insider you know they use the lingo and the statistics and the analytics and it's very intimidating or off-putting to people who don't feel as invested in all of those things but if you just look at sports as storytelling in the athletic realm it's a completely different animal and so that's what I try to tell people don't be intimidated by this idea that if you don't know the Yankees roster you can't recite it for the last 20 years you can't be a Yankees beat writer that's silly mm -hmm. if you have a curiosity about baseball and like the sport and you can learn as you go and you like storytelling why shouldn't you try to be a baseball beat writer mm. you just have to demystify it there are people who are somewhat invested in it maintaining this aura of inaccessibility because they want to be the gatekeepers to the sport make it more accessible so that it is less intimidating to people who are really good storytellers they could be terrific in whatever realm athletics entertainment politics civic you know local uh, news so that's what I think is maybe holding some people back mm -hmm. what do you think it will take for it to be like accessible enough for like women to feel um like as comfortable doing it as men do well i thought that the title nine movement would be that trigger that as more women competed in sports through college that they would be armed with this first-hand knowledge of what it's like to play basketball at a high level and that they would then want to do something in basketball media or soccer media mm -hmm. or whatever but it has not as we have talked about really translated but I do think we're making huge inroads we have women doing play-by-play -play in the NBA and the NFL mm -hmm. now in college sports, in college basketball and football, who would have thought that possible 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you're very busy. Um, what is the biggest thing you think a woman should know when trying to go into sports journalism? That don't act as if you're a woman. You're just a person trying to be a sports journalist. You're mm -hmm. just another person. You're no different from anybody else that... Um, I, I just think it's, I remember um, when I got the job at the New York Times in 2005, it was to cover the New York Jets, and a veteran of the business, someone who had known me since my 20s, so had known me at this time close to 20 years, came up to me at a football game not long after my hiring and said, wow, Karen, congratulations on the job. I had no idea they were looking for a woman to fill that position. 
And it reminded mm -hmm. me, here I was, this was my 10th job in the business. I had clearly paid my dues. I would argue I was the most qualified person for what they were looking for. And yet there are still people in the business who thought that if I got hired, it must be because they needed a woman, that I wasn't the most qualified person. I was mm -hmm. hired because of my gender. And so I think we need to get past that. And as women, we need to just try to be the best journalists we can and not let gender enter the equation in terms of how we see ourselves as somewhat less than or how we allow others to see us. I know that when I walk into a locker room, I draw a lot of attention because maybe I'm one of only one or two women that are intruding into this private area. But I, that may feel like a disadvantage at first, but I can turn it into my, an advantage by asking intelligent questions and leaving the people I interview with the idea of, wow, that woman really knew her stuff. Then they will rem mm. recognize me the next time I come in because I'm not just one of those one or two women, but I'm that person who really, uh, with whom they had a really lovely interview. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what we need to strive to do and be. I'm not saying, you know, be genderless, but just don't think of your gender as being either a hindrance or a help. It just is what it is. I'm sitting here with Caitlin Culligan, who spoke with Gabrielle Lucivero from NBC Connecticut. Caitlin, what did Gabrielle have to say about women in sports journalism? We talked a lot about some of the challenges that face women in sports journalism, and especially about a lot of female reporters who have kind of paved the way before she came along and started her job. So it was really cool to hear what she had to say about that. Let's take a listen. So... As a woman in sports journalism, have you found that there are any kind of hurdles or challenges that come from that? I have been fortunate enough, and this might be a little bit of a naive view, but I have been fortunate enough that there have been a lot of women to kind of break down barriers before me. Um, that right now, the worst I get is, you know, running into someone who's mad that they're seeing a, a woman doing sports on their TV. Um just because they're used to hearing a guy's voice. Um, but that sort of thing doesn't affect my day-to-day -day job. Um, as far as, you know, the big ones of being welcome in a locker room, that's done. I am welcome in there. Sure, there are still guys who, you know, get uncomfortable so they make a joke. Um, that's going to happen at the end of the day, you know, as long as it's not wildly inappropriate you know, it's something you kind of just put your head down and you keep working because for the most part, people understand that you are there to do your job. And I have found that, and maybe I've just been fortunate to work in, you know, cities that are, you know, welcoming, mm -hmm. but I have found that I haven't really run into any crazy difficult barriers um, that have prevented me from doing the same work that men in my position have been able to do. Um, and I credit that to the women who have come before me 
who did have to break down those barriers. So fortunately, I think that women in sports media are having, you know, things have been moving in the right direction for them that now my generation is able to focus on different barriers that need to be broken. But for the most part, the big hurdles, I feel like we're in a, in a much better position than we were five years ago than we were 10 years ago. So you mentioned other women who came before you. Is there any woman or reporter that you look up to in particular? I know that's kind of a specific question, but anyone that you saw what they did and think like, wow, thank you for what you contributed to this field? Yeah, I think that, you know, you can, you can rattle off all the women who have had, you know, the, the first woman to, to do, you know, an NFL broadcast mm-hmm. or the first woman to go in a locker room. You can, you can have all the, the first, but to me, I look up to the women who have found a way to make themselves relevant in sports journalism without being sports stats junkies. Gotcha. Um, because a lot of times there's a lot of people who have grown up around a sport and they know every in and out, every stat. They know who, you know, the third string quarterback is <laughs> for the Tennessee Titans. You know what? I don't have that answer. And I don't know who that was in 1998 or 2018. <laughs> um, but I look up to the women like, um, like Andrea Kramer, for instance. She's someone who gets to tell those, you know, people say they're feature stories or people stories. I love that she has found a way to have a voice in sports reporting and be respected as a sports journalist without having to rattle off, you know, these crazy different statistics. Sure, she knows the significance of the story she's telling, and there's a reason she's telling it, Mm -hmm. and some of that might lie in the numbers, but ultimately she puts a face to those statistics and is able to tell these really great stories and it's a voice people respect. Um, and so the women who have been able to do that and find a voice outside of, you know, all of this really intricate numbers reporting um, are, the, are the women I look up to most because I think that that's where my voice is, is going. Um, mm-hmm. And it's nice to have women before me who've been able to make a name for themselves doing that and, and get respect doing that. That concludes this week's The Stories Behind the Stories podcast by The Roundup CT. Thank you to all the journalists who gave their time for these interviews, and thank you to our listeners for following The Roundup CT each week. Look out for more Behind the Stories podcast, and as always, The Roundup CT team hopes you have a great weekend. Thank you.